This is the Purpose Church podcast where we exist to help every person live on purpose. It is our prayer that this message helps you experience God in a brand new way. Amen. Good to see you at church, everybody. Today is the final week of our series, Not the Same, our final week of the series. It's been fun. We've enjoyed going through different people in the Bible who experienced God, experienced Jesus personally, and were not the same afterwards. Now, we know, and you read on the, the, the bumper reel just a second ago, that people can run into Jesus, experience Jesus, and leave the same. We see it in Scripture. People experience Jesus all the time, but they left the same. They left with the same anger, the same aggravation, the same plan to d- destroy his works. They, say they experienced Jesus and left the same. But there's a reason, there's a difference in those who experience Jesus and are not the same and those who experience Jesus and are the same. There was a choice involved. There was a choice involved. They experienced Jesus. They made a choice. To, and sometimes Jesus would give something for them to do, something for them to, their, their path from there on. They made a choice to obey. And then they were not the same. And so we see that we have a part to play in this, uh, in this scenario. Today we're talking about a story that's in John chapter 8. It's not very long. We're going we're gonna to read the whole story. But the person in our story today does not, uh, is not named in the Bible. Uh, we don't know who she was. Um, we, we don't know where she was from. Uh, we don't know where she went at the end of this story. We don't know a lot about her. But we know that she encountered Jesus. Something radically happened to her in that moment. And so since we don't know a lot about her and what happened afterwards, I I wanted to focus on something today uh, that happened in the the moment. It's kind of like the miracle in the moment. What happened to her in that encounter with Jesus is very, very, very important. And then we're going to contrast a couple of things. And all of this is going to lead to, uh, at the end, a question. And a question for all of us. So instead of point one, two, three, we're going through some things, contrast some things, and then we're going to ask a question at the end. And so you'll, you'll want to take some notes. There's, uh, there's a chart I'll be going through here in a minute for, for all of us in the room that like to nerd out on stuff like that. I got a chart for you today, so you're welcome. Uh, so let's go to John chapter 8, verses 1 through uh, 11. Let's look here. Jesus walked up the Mount of Olives near the city where he spent the night. Then at dawn, Jesus appeared in the temple courts again, and soon all the people gathered around to listen to his words, so he sat down and taught them. Then, in the middle of his sermon, the religious scholars and the Pharisees broke through the crowd and brought a woman who had been caught in the act of committing adultery, And made her stand in the middle of everyone. Then they said to Jesus, Teacher, we caught this woman in the very act of adultery. Doesn't Moses' law command us to stone to death a woman like this? Tell us, what do you say we should do with her? They were only testing Jesus because they hoped to trap him with his own words and accuse him of breaking the law of Moses. But Jesus chose not to answer them. Instead, he simply bent down on the ground and wrote in the dust with his finger. Angry, they kept insisting that he answer their question. So Jesus stood up, looked at them, and said, You know, let's have the man who's never had a sinful desire throw the first stone at her. 
And then he bent over again and kept writing more words in the dirt. Upon hearing that, her accuser slowly left the crowd one at a time, beginning with the oldest to the youngest with a convicted conscience. Until finally, Jesus was left alone with the woman, still standing there in front of him. So he stood back up and said to her, dear woman, where are your accusers? Is there no one here to condemn you? Looking around, she replied, I see no one, Lord. Jesus said, then I certainly don't condemn you either. Go and from now on be free from a life of sin. What a powerful story. What a powerful 11 verses that we can draw from today. Imagine that someone you loved, your sister, your friend, your daughter, Imagine that someone you loved was in her place. Imagine that you were in her place. In the act of adultery, an angry mob of religious men storm into your bedroom, drag you from your bed naked, and parade you down the street to the temple and stand you in front of Jesus Christ and the crowd of people there to have church. Ashamed, you look at the ground as the shocked crowd looks at you, humiliated and without excuse. Your secret is out. Everyone is now in the know. You've sinned, and those who drug you through the city streets are beaming with joy. Then, what happens next changes your life forever. You're not the same after this. You're not expecting in that moment what's about to come your way from Jesus, the rabbi, the teacher who they brought you to. You're not expecting this rabbi, in this case Jesus, that he would defend you. This is a story about us. This is a story about our sin. This is a story about our secrets. This is a story about Jesus and his mercy and his sacrifice. This is our story. Place yourself in this story today. And does this passage give the okay to sin? No, absolutely not. Are we guilty of sin? Yes, absolutely yes. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, for everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. And see, when I studied out this story It wasn't as easy to study because the Bible doesn't tell us what happened to this woman. There is a lot of speculation about this woman was Mary Magdalene and all. There's no biblical biblical proof for that being true. I would like it if it was true because that would be a bomb story. It would be awesome. But there's no biblical truth for that. And so it's just a speculation from some early church scholars and commentaries, and that's fine. But the Bible doesn't share with us What happens to this woman? Never names her. All we know is that she got busted and humiliated, accused, publicly humiliated, and left in front of Jesus for her her fate to be decided. And it was really interesting to me as I was reading this as I felt like the Lord told me to share with you and teach you the differences between condemnation and conviction. The differences between condemnation 
and conviction. What we see in the story is someone who is in desperate need of Jesus. We, we see two different sides here, battling it out over one life. And one of them is hell-bent on condemnation, and one of them is heaven-bent on conviction. And there's a big difference between the two. She encounters Jesus, and through her mercy, and through his mercy, she was set free and was given marching orders from there on. Think about a courtroom. Now, I, and in America, we love a good judge show, don't we? We, we love... And my personal favorite is Judge Judy with a doily around her neck and all that. If you don't know what a doily is, I don't know if you can even Google doily. I don't know if there's doilies online. But she's got a doily around her neck and, 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 and she's no nonsense and she, she'll cut right to the chase and don't interrupt her, don't you dare. And, and she, I mean, she'll cook and eat you, don't mess with her. She, she, she's, a, she's a bad lady, she'll get to you. We love a good justice show. We love in America, we love people getting what they deserve. We love it. We're obsessed with it. We, we love somebody getting busted and then they get what's coming to them. We love that. It fills your news feed all day long. You can't scroll through any number of news apps and not see something about somebody who, who is now in jail or got convicted of this or got convicted of that. You just, you love, we, we love to see that. But here's what's interesting because we, we, we see in this, this story two different people that are fighting over a life. Think about this courtroom for a minute. We have the prosecuting attorney. We have the defense attorney. We have the judge. And then there's us. The, the prosecuting attorney, Revelation 12.10, calls the devil the accuser of the brethren. His job is to prosecute you and everything you ever done wrong to God to try to prove you guilty so you can spend your eternity in hell. He, that's all he does all day long is dig things up to prosecute you. you. You would call it, the devil would file a motion for discovery to go through all your texts and all your Instagram reels and, 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 and your TikTok account. And he'll go through all of that. He'll go through your bank records. He'll go through your conversations. He'll, he'll, he'll go through all of that and, and then present it on a big screen in front of the entire courtroom and, and, in, front of, and in front of God and, and, say, and say, look what they've done. God, surely they're guilty. The prosecuting attorney sits down and, and feels like he's done a great job. Like there's no way that this person could be defended. There's no way. And then Jesus, the defense attorney, gets his chance. He is told in the Bible, told to us in the Bible in 1 John 2, 1, that he is the advocate. So we have the accuser. Everyone say accuser. And then we have the advocate. Everyone say Advocate. So we've got these two players in the story. God is the judge sitting, uh, sitting behind the bench. And then the, the Bible tells us in 1 John 2, 1, you are my little children, so I'm writing these things to you to help you avoid sin. But if, however, any believer does sin, we have a high-powered defense lawyer, Jesus the anointed, the righteous, arguing on our behalf. Now, I've got this courtroom scene in my mind now. And if you 
uh, were raised in church and you knew who the Christian singer Carmen was, he had a whole song about the courtroom of heaven. And, and he played God, the, the Satan, and Jesus. He was all three people. And it was just, it's, it's a fun, very low-resolution video you should go watch on YouTube. Um, but I, I think back to that and I think about how helpless I have felt at times when I'm the one being talked about and I'm wondering what God thinks. Put yourself in that place too. Put yourself in that woman's shoes. All of this is happening. The accuser is trying to condemn. The advocate is trying to convict. Now, not the type of conviction we think about in the American judicial system where condemnation and conviction go hand in hand. That's not what I'm talking about. Spiritual conviction is different. Spiritual conviction is not negative or punitive, like in a court of law. Spiritually speaking, conviction is a good thing. I just want you to hear those words. Spiritual conviction is a good thing. It's a necessary thing. And so let's just say this together out loud. Condemnation and conviction are not the same. Say that out loud. Condemnation and conviction are not the same. So instead of following this woman's story and speculating as to what her life was after verse 11, we're, we're not talking about that as, like we did in the other stories the previous three weeks. We're talking about what was going on in the mix in the middle of the story. It was condemnation and conviction were having a battle. See, we easily confuse satanic condemnation with godly conviction. Conviction is a necessary feeling that we should all cultivate, and condemnation is a lie that we should throw off. Conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. Condemnation comes from the devil, who will do anything, and I mean anything, to drive a wedge between you and God. That's what his name means. His name in Greek is diabolo. It's a Greek compound word. Dia, like where we get the word diameter, straight through the middle. Balo is where we get the word ballistic missile. His name literally is to come in between you and God and explode. He will do everything he can to weasel his way in there and make as big of a distance, a big of a chasm between you and God. Have you ever felt far from God? Have you ever felt like you weren't good enough to approach God? There, there was probably some diabolo mixed in there. Conviction is like a pain signal that leads us away from danger. But condemnation is like an anesthetic that leaves you feeling numb. But as different as these two experiences are, we often confuse them. I know I have. We often confuse these things. And one reason we confuse them is because condemnation and conviction both make people grieve over their sin. The Bible talks about in 1 Corinthians that we are to have a godly sorrow when we grieve the Holy Spirit. We are to have a godly sorrow. There is something that is supposed to, uh, to happen on the inside of you when you do sin. Condemnation will make you feel the same thing, and I would argue with you that it's, it's that moment, it's that decision in that moment, what happens after that that takes you on a different path. When you feel that grief, what do you do with it? One leads to death, one leads to life. The grief can look and feel so similar. And also, condemnation and conviction are both trying to convince you of something. They're both trying to convince you. 
They're both, they're both trying to convince you of, of identity, of a feeling. Uh, they're both trying to take you down a path. So what do we do now? How do we tell the difference between the two? I think this will really help you today. Look, uh, here, here's the chart for all my type ones on the Enneagram. Get ready. Let's go. Condemnation is sin-focused. Conviction is people-focused. Condemnation will always look at the sin. The people that drug this woman out of bed did not care about her. They did not care about her or her embarrassment. They were the religious leaders, and they did not care about her. All they cared about was advancing their agenda. They didn't care about this woman at all. And side note, uh, when you study the Bible out a little bit, it becomes more interesting. Where's the man? Where's the brother at? Takes two to tango, baby. Where's he at? Here's what we've learned when you study out the Bible, that this was a ruse. This was a plan from the very beginning. And what a lot of scholars will tell you if you read through these commentaries is that that man was hired to seduce this woman. He succeeded. He was always going to be let off the hook. In fact, Mosaic law said that both man and woman caught in the act were to be stoned together. So where's the dude at? So he gets let off the hook because he was part of this plan, not to trap the woman. She, they, they didn't care about her. They were trying to trap Jesus. So the devil will always use you as a pawn to try to get you to discount Jesus Christ in your life. He'll always do that. That's his plan all the time. So he's sin-focused, not people-focused. And then there's the condemnation side of being present-focused. What's going on right now in front of you? But conviction is future-focused. It's based on what's, what do we do now? What do we do now? So condemnation will always try to get you to... Uh, tunnel vision onto what you're doing at this moment. Surely I am a bad person. God can't love me because I've done A. But God takes a step back and looks at the whole story. Aren't you glad? And he knows the future of your story. All the chapters that haven't even been written yet. He knows it all. So he knows that this mess you're in will become part of your message, but it takes you understanding the difference between condemnation and conviction. Your path forward from here, your, your path to make it through the issues in life you'll encounter, the sins that you will commit in the future because none of us are perfect, all of those things will affect us, and we've got to understand the difference between the two. And so if you're focused on what's going on right now and you lose sight of what God wants to do with you in the future, probably focused on condemnation and not conviction. What about this? It's guilt-focused, condemnation is, but conviction is grace-focused. Did Jesus in our story ever one time ask for people to tell her what she did, for people to tell him what she did? He was not interested in that. They came and, and, and blurted out all of her sins. Here's what I know to be true about God because I know the character of God and I've read the Bible cover to cover. Here's what I know about God. We are more concerned with our sin than God is. We make a bigger deal out of it and we try to blow it up and make it bigger than God. But here's what I also know. We, in today's America, we minimize sin. We minimize this sin. We make it not a big deal and then we call them issues. I didn't sin. I have an issue. I didn't sin. I made a mistake. This isn't sin. I just have a problem to work through. And we cozy up to condemnation 
And we live our life that way. The whole time the Holy Spirit's trying to convict you and lead you on a better path because he's grace-focused. He wants to forgive you. But we make the decision to either buddy up with it or to repent of it and move on. That's our decision. God will not do for us what we are to do ourselves. And so we are a, a player in this story as well. And this just goes to reason that con- condemnation is problem-focused. Conviction is answer-focused. Condemnation is punishment-focused. Conviction is restoration-focused, guilt-focused, grace-focused. Now, here's a big one. Condemnation leads to despair, but conviction leads to repentance. Condemnation will always take you deeper than you thought you could go. Down into the dumps. It'll make you despondent. You'll condemn yourself. And then when we live a self-condemned life, then we condemn others. We live like the people who are holding the rocks ready to stone that poor girl. And we, we live our lives very self-righteously when we're in that place to hide our level of despair. It's always interesting to me when I ask people, tell me what God's doing in your life. And, and the conversation leads to what other people are doing wrong. And I, I think it's very, very interesting uh, the level of condemnation we're allowing ourselves to live with. Condemnation leads to death, but conviction leads to change. It leads to change, a changed life, and I'll, I'll show it to you. It, the, Jesus told her, go and sin no more. The Greek word there for sin is hamartia. That word literally means to swerve from the truth. It doesn't mean to do bad things. That's not what that word means. Repentance doesn't also mean just to run away from sin. It means to change your thinking. So if our mindset about sin and forgiveness is, I did something bad, God forgive me. That's not deep enough. Hamartia is, I swerved from the truth and I believed a lie. God, help me change the way I think about you and my forgiveness and my future. You see how, much di- how different that is? And so we, when we dive into the differences here, we start to go, oh, I, I, can, I, see, I can see when the devil's been messing with me. I can see it. Condemnation leads to doubt, but conviction leads to destiny. Jesus sent her out. He said, go from where you are. And then he used that word, the the only time in the New Testament where this word is used. The only time in the New Testament where he says, go and sin no more. That that part, that word sin there that he used has a, a negative article at the beginning of it. It's the only place in the New Testament where that word's used. And he's literally telling her, go and stop swerving from the truth. Stop believing lies. You're better than this. I've got your back. Let's move forward now. It's literally what he's telling her. He's not telling her, hey, you screwed up. You know, that, that was a bad deal. Shouldn't have gotten seduced. Um, just go and try not to do that no more. That's kind of how we read it. We're like, go and, you know, really try hard not to sin. Really, really try hard. But has anyone in this room ever struggled with the same sin over and over and over and over and over again? So we read this scripture and we're like, oh, surely she did it again. Nobody can, can go and sin no more because we're trying to live our Christian life in our own power. We strive. Nowhere in the Bible does it tell you to, to strive to be better. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that. In fact, it says to rest in the grace of Jesus, not strive to be a better person. 
And if we're always constantly striving to be better, if we're, if we're constantly striving, we're focusing on condemnation and not the conviction of the Spirit and the grace afforded to us. It's very, very different. Now, here's one that's big, big for all of us. This, this is one, we could preach a whole sermon just about this one. Condemnation is vague. Conviction is specific. Condemnation makes you feel a certain way about who you are as a person. Condemnation doesn't even give you a path forward. Condemnation just wants you to be so drugged down into the dumps that you can't see a way out. But conviction gives you something very specific and clear. Conviction is high definition clarity. It's helpful, it's hopeful. And condemnation feels like this cloud of shame just hovering over your whole being that you can't even explain. And conviction is precise, and it's like a precise thought in your mind where it might even be as precise as this. I need to stop watching this show because it has too much sexual content that makes me think about other things. Just an example I'm making up. Condemnation will make you feel like something's wrong with you. How dare you? You shouldn't have. If you were further along with Jesus, you wouldn't have. Do you hear the difference? Conviction is specific, leads to change, can help you move forward. Condemnation has no agenda to help you move forward. And then condemnation ends in sorrow. Conviction ends in joy. There's a process of condemnation and there's a process for conviction. And I'm going to share with you that formula here in a minute. But conviction ends in joy. It ends in worship. It ends with you being closer to God. And then, I think these were flipped on the screen earlier because I, I wrote them flipped. Condemnation makes us believe we can't change. But conviction makes us want to change. Condemnation will make you believe like you, you're, you're not going to move forward from here. You can't make it out of here. So what happens now? What happens when we refuse to listen to the Holy Spirit's conviction? Consider David after he committed adultery. King David in the Old Testament. He's up on the roof, looks across the neighborhood, sees a woman taking a bath. He's like, I got to have her. Goes and gets her has relations with her, kills her husband. It, it just got deeper and deeper. It got worse and worse and worse. This whole story, when you see in the, in the Bible, when the conviction came to him, he tried to handle it on his own. He didn't shine light on it. He didn't go to anybody. He dealt with it on his own in secret. And what happened? Adultery turned into murder. David lost his joy. The Bible talks about how he fell headlong into deeper sin. Psalm 51, you can read it. It's, it's important that we understand when we isolate and, and, and we hide, cancer grows best in darkness. You've got to shine light on it. When we try to handle sin on our own, we inevitably begin to traffic in feelings of condemnation. There's no joy there. 
And if we're not able to return to joy through repentance, we will ultimately end up sinning more in failed attempts to find joy apart from God. When we ignore God's conviction and we turn to ourselves, it's just a matter of time before we sin again. Later in the Bible, God brought conviction and godly grief to David through Nathan. So his buddy Nathan shows up and really gives him one of these spiritual frying pan to the head moments. And, and, and just and rails on David, you are that man, you're the, you're the lustful one, you're the one hiding sin, and, and he's listening to his friend. David had a choice in that moment. Remember, you can encounter Jesus and stay the same, or you can encounter Jesus, make a choice, and never be the same. So David had a choice in that moment. He made the choice to listen to his friend. Now, let me tell you this. If you're, if you're in the middle of sin right now, and you know it, and you have people around you that you know know it, and they're not telling you the truth, they're not friends. They're not real friends. Real friends will share God's word with you and bring the Holy Spirit cast iron skillet to the situation. Nathan told him the truth, and from the rest of David's story, from David's story and from the rest of Scripture, we can summarize this process with this equation. For all of my math people in the room, there's plus signs on this one. Conviction plus godly grief, plus confession and repentance equals forgiveness, joy, and worship. So if you're not feeling, if you're not receiving forgiveness, if you're not feeling joy, the joy of the Lord come back to you, and if, you're, if your response isn't filled with worship, we're believing something condemning. If, if, if what the process we're going through doesn't return us back to God, but it returns us back to ourselves, we're, we are believing a lie, we're finding ourselves condemned, we're not handling sin appropriately. And we can pray for revival all day long. We can pray that God would grow the capital C church all around the world. We can pray that San Antonio would never be the same. We can pray all these amazing things. But revivals always start with repentance. And if God's people don't repent, if God's people don't get off their high horse and deal with their sin, if we don't trust God enough to come to him with our stuff, we're holding back the very thing that God wants to give. And, we're, and we're, we always pray, God, send a move of God, send a move of God. And God's like, read the Bible. I move when you move. I move when you move. And so when we move towards God, he moves towards us. And we see from that that equation that soon in David's story, he began worshiping his Savior, enjoying life, leading a country to victory. So how do you respond when you sin? How do we respond? Because if we're the woman in the story, and Jesus tells us, go, he'll always tell you go, which, which I take it to mean there's always something for you to do. There's always a next step for you in the kingdom of God. So he says, go, stop swerving from the truth, stop believing lies, go and sin no more. What do we do with that information? Do we go, thanks for that? Do, do, we, leave, like, do we leave church and go, hey, thanks for that? It was a good word, pastor, I got you. I'm out, but my life's the same. Do we leave here every Sunday and nothing change? 
Because you can walk in and you can experience God. You can experience Jesus. You can, feel, you can feel something in the room. And then you go home and all your problems are still there and your sin patterns are still there. And you're wondering, what is this even for? We're not cooperating with heaven's program of conviction. We're not, we're, we're not going to God. And this is what happens is we, we think to ourselves, I, I messed up. I messed up. Please don't tell my dad. But what we're supposed to do and what I hope becomes your norm is I messed up big time. I really need my dad right now. I really need my dad. Our kid plays t-ball. Plays t-ball. Our youngest kid. And he's five and a half, so it's total chaos. Exactly what you would think in your mind is the chaos that ensues. And we see how these different parents are responding to their children. One kid's getting ready to bat. Dad's yelling at him. Change your, you know, move, move your foot, bend your knees. It's not a golf club, it's a bat. You know, all kinds of things. Just trying to coach his kid. Just let the coaches be the coach parents, okay? Uh, He's trying to coach his kid. And we were there one day, and this poor kid just wasn't having it that day. They're little kids. They're five and six-year-olds. Kid was crying, crying. And he was a little, little red-headed kid, light-skinned, so when he cried, his face turned bright red. And you're just snot everywhere. You're, you're, and we're walking up like, what is going on? And Bradley's like, what is, like, he's looking concerned, like, who's making him cry? I don't want to do this. So we, we get our kids situated, and we're watching these parents in front of everybody. We're watching these parents, the dad and the mom, both down like this in their kid's face, screaming, yelling at the same time in both his ears while he sits there and bawls and cries. Five-year-old T-ball. And it was all because he just didn't want to play that day. He just didn't want to play. You ever had a, a day where you just didn't want to adult that day? So we never grow out of that. Saturday we got to sleep in, which at our house means like 7.30. And I told Kelly, I, the first, she said, good morning. The first words out of my mouth were, I don't want a parent yet. That's what I told her Saturday, didn't I? I said, I don't want a parent yet. And she goes, you don't have to. And I was like, woman of God, I love you. And she left and started the pancakes. And I just, I was thinking about that kid when I was writing this message because we think God's gonna do that to us. We think that when we mess up, and this kid didn't even mess up, he didn't even do anything. He just didn't wanna play t-ball. But because the parents were embarrassed, they started acting like crazy people. This woman screaming in his ear, this man screaming in his ear, and you just saw him get smaller and smaller and smaller. And a lot of us feel like God's gonna do that to us if we come to him and be honest. But what actually happens is a story that I heard a pastor tell, and <laughs> his 16-year-old kid got busted drinking gets called, but the police call his house. Pastor, they knew who he was. Pastor, 
uh, we got your son down here at the police station. It's like, for what? Uh, got, party got busted, underage drinking. He shows up, there's a dad there, also picking up his kid, who he knew. And the dad is in his kid's face. You'll never see the light of day again. I can't believe you would act so stupid. I can't believe, you know the rules, you broke every rule. If you cared about this family, change your last name. He's, pastor sees this guy doing this to his kid. He walks over to his son, his son's got his head down, he's waiting on his dad to do that. But instead what this dad did and what God does for every one of us is he got down, put his arm around his son, said, you've never needed me now. You've never needed me more than you need me now. Brought his kid close and his kid just started bawling. See, that's what God wants to do. You've messed up and he wants to bring you closer. He doesn't call you dearly wretched, he calls you dearly beloved. He brings you closer. And if revival is really going to start in your home and in this church and in, and in our, our northeast area of San Antonio, if we really want to be an answer to the problems that we see out in the world, it has to start with repentance from those in this room. It has to start with us. We've got to go to God and say, God, forgive me. Would you make me and mold me and use me? God, I, I don't have all the answers. Something, something is, is, has happened and I've... I've, I've I've sinned against you and I want to bring this stuff to you. God, would you forgive me? Instead of trying to behavior modify ourselves out of this. Somebody told me the other day, and I didn't think about this first service, but they told me every time I mess up, I go to this Enneagram app on my phone. And I find out why I messed up. Wrong answer. See, we're, we're using everything we can outside of God to deal with our sin. We've got so many resources, so many answers at our fingertips, but the, only, the thing that God's wanting us to do is put the stinking phone down, get on our knees, and say, God, forgive me. I know what I did. And every time, he will pull you close. This might be the greatest test of spiritual maturity in your life, is how you handle sin how you handle it when you mess up. And if you're sitting there thinking right now, well, I can't really think of anything I'm doing wrong. Ask God to show you, and he will show you. This is keeping you from me. This is keeping you from moving forward. Again, it's specific, isn't it? It's specific and gives you a clear path out. Ask God to reveal things to you because your heart posture towards God is, I don't want these things to hinder me from you. I don't want these things to hinder me. I don't, I, I don't, I don't want God to, I, 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 don't, I don't want to come to God and have him reject me, but I don't, I don't want these things to hinder me. We, we don't bring things to God as we have a wrong view of God. We imagine him as King Triton dealing with Ariel. That's not how this works. That's not how God operates. And I think some of us today need to hear this message, that you have been holding on to this specific sin in your life for so long, 
you've forgotten what it feels like to be embraced by the Father. Maybe your sin is, we talked about it last Sunday, like apathy and indifference, like I just don't care. If that's the sin, then you bring this apathy to God and say, God, I wanna be a passionate individual. Forgive me of my sin of apathy and indifference. I submit to you completely. You come to God, don't run from God. So would you bow your head and close your eyes right now? I'm gonna ask you the question that I told you I would ask you. Again, there were no points in this sermon. There's only one question. Where are you feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your life right now? Where are you feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your life? Where are you sensing Jesus say to you, go and sin no more? Again, while you're processing it and while you've got your heads bowed and your eyes closed, remember you're in this courtroom and there's an, a prosecuting attorney that is hell bent on your eternal damnation. But you've got a defense attorney that's never lost a case. And he's handling your case without you having to pay for it because he's already paid the price. You're standing in the middle of that courtroom and God the Father is the judge. Your sin has to be dealt with. And the Bible talks very clearly about that the wrath of God has to be satisfied. And we don't like to talk about that in church because it's not really a sexy thing to talk about in church, the wrath of God. But here's what's amazing. The wrath of God has eternally been satisfied by the blood of Jesus. So when God looks at you, dear child, he looks at you through the blood of Jesus and you're perfect. He looks at you through the blood of Jesus and then he looks at the prosecuting attorney and he tells the attorney, none of the evidence you've brought up I can find in this book. But the one thing I can find is their name written in the Lamb's book of life. So all of the evidence is to the contrary of the prosecuting attorney you win the case. Your attorney, your attorney won again. So where are you feeling convicted right now and where do you need the Holy Spirit to lead and guide you? Just think about that for about 10 seconds or so. When all is said and done, just like in our story we read today in John chapter eight, it'll be just you and Jesus at the end of the day. Everyone else will leave and it will be you and Jesus. Jesus does not punish you, but was punished for you. Jesus could have put the woman to death and been justified according to law, but instead he forgave her and he took her place on the cross to die for her sin. Jesus forgives our sin and when we, we try to deny our sin and diminish our sin and blame others for our sin, Jesus simply forgives it. 
Jesus lifts the condemnation off of us, just like he did the woman. And he said, I don't condemn you. So for those that feel condemned in the room today, you feel heavy, you feel broken, you feel afraid to talk to your father, let these words of Romans chapter eight, verse one, cover you today. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So will you receive Jesus and his grace today? Will you receive Jesus and his grace? Would it change you from the inside out? Would, would you allow Jesus to be your defense attorney? So in our last story today for this series, let's just take a moment and right where you are, with your own voice, just tell Jesus, thank you for forgiving my sin. Just tell him right now, tell him. I think that should be how we begin every single day of our life. Reminding ourselves that it's not in our own power, but it's in the power of Jesus Christ on the cross that has made us right with God. So Jesus, we thank you for what you've done on the cross for our sin. We thank you, Jesus, that when we come to you, you don't slap us or kick us or get down in front of us and yell at us. We thank you that you don't bend your knee and just you dig into us and talk to us negatively and tell us we'll never amount to anything. We're, we're so grateful, Lord, that you're not like that. We're so thankful that you get down on your knees and you ride in the dirt and you ignore our accuser, and then you stand between us and our accuser and defend us to the death. Jesus, thank you for being the only one that could do that for us. So everybody in the room, whether you're coming to Jesus for the very first time or you're coming back to Jesus, pray this prayer with me today, would you? Say, Lord Jesus, Forgive me of my sin. I run to your loving arms. Forgive me of the times where I've run from you and tried to do it by myself. I'm done with idolizing myself. I'm done with striving. I accept my identity as a child of God and I fully receive your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for not giving me what I deserved. And I thank you for eternal life. I thank you that I'll never be the same. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name. Everybody give God a big, loud praise for that truth today. Thank you for listening to the Purpose Church Podcast. If God uses this message to impact your life, tell us your story by emailing mystory@thepurposechurch.com. Be sure to follow us on social media and check out our website at thepurposechurch.com to get connected and receive all the latest information.